I spoke a message on encouraging one another and that we should get involved with each other and again life groups is about that as well finding out what other people's visions are finding out what struggles people are going through so we can encourage people to succeed but we can also encourage people to get them through something so I thought I'd just want to talk about the word courage uh, today and um, in, 19, in 1988, I was in patrol when I heard a radio report of a lady walking on the Waterview motorway heading towards the Harbour Bridge. And as I was close, I responded to it. But once she saw me, she started running up the bridge into the face of fast-moving traffic. Fortunately, I was able to catch her, and as she was light, you know, some women are light, some are heavy, but this woman was light... <laughs> I know I'm dangerous, Graham, but it surprised me because I had her under my arm. I'm only a little guy. And I don't know if I could do with that with everybody here, you know. But anyway, <laughs> she was light. And, and with some struggle, I was able to actually get her back to my car and call for backup. About an hour later, though, and I handed her on to another two-man patrol. I handed her on to her, and uh, th th they took her away. But about an hour later, I was at the Harbour Bridge control room, which was on the North Shore side, when another call came in about another female pedestrian, this time walking up the bridge. I know you're going to say this is going to be a heavy woman, you know. <laughs> I had the light one, now I'm going to get the heavy one. But <laughs> again, of course, I was in the ideal position to go, so I responded. And I was heading up the bridge, and I, then I, I noticed this lady who now was quite a way up the bridge, and it was the same lady that I'd rescued before. <laughs> but the thing is that when she realized it was me too, she quickly got over the rail this time. And she was on the other side of the rail. So it was a desperate situation, really. This lady was determined to jump off the Harbour Bridge. As I inched towards her, she warned me that she would jump if I came any closer. And so just as I kept sort of, I sort of ignored that because I needed to try and do something about it. So I inched towards her, trying to, to keep her, you know, occupied, try to keep engaged with her. And then there was a point when I noticed that she turned to look down the bridge and she noticed some more patrol lights or flashing lights coming towards her. And at that instant, I lunged forward and grabbed her. <laughs> quite emotional for me. But, you know, I, I lunged forward and grabbed her with, and the rail's about this high, and put both arms around her. And then I had to hold onto the harbour bridge as we struggled with my knees. So I've got my knees stuck in the rail, and I'm trying to hang on to her, struggling, knowing that this patrol car needed to hurry up. So we were able, when they arrived, to get her over the railing and back onto the correct side. And in this struggle, you know, we both could have been taken down. But thank God, you know, we both survived that. And then, you know, I went home to bed at about 7 a.m. in the morning and we just put up a photo. And uh, when I woke up, um, the story had sort of hit the papers. Um, and they, the next night they wanted to take a photo of me standing on the ledge, you know, on the Harbour Bridge. And that was at a lower end of the Harbour Bridge. I wasn't right up where she was, you know, up there. You know, about 19 years earlier than that, on the way to secondary school, my brother and I were waiting at the school bus at the Devonport Ferry Terminal when Robert 
noticed a young lady, or noticed a lady lying face down in the water. So this is unusual. It's early morning. It's about 8, 8.30 in the morning, and we're down there by the wharf, and there's a lady floating upside down in the water. Without hesitating, he stripped down to his undies and headed in, and with the help of another bystander, were able to pull her in. And uh, fortunately, they revived her, and the ambulance took her away. He was possibly, at that time, 15 or 16 years of age. And uh, so it was nice that the Humane Society awarded him a bravery award for that incident. The opportunity to show courage, um, you know, pops up in the most unexpected time. We don't plan for it. We don't say, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be a hero today, or I'm going to be courageous today. And it's important that we are ready for it. And I think as Christians, we need to be courageous, and we need to show courage. So I want to just look at what courage is, because I think we all can apply in this area. If we put that up there, the courage. Courage, also called bravery or valor, is the choice and willingness to confront agony, pain, danger, uncertainty, or intimidation. And physical courage is bravery in the face of physical pain, hardship, death, or threat of death. And moral courage is the ability to act rightly in the face of popular opposition, peer pressure, shame, scandal, discouragement, and personal loss. We see here that courage actually is an action. It's something we do. It's a choice we make. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you rescued us. We thank you that you've called us here this morning. You've placed on our heart to be here this morning. And I thank you for this word. I thank you for this message that you've placed on my heart. And Lord, I just pray, whatever is from me, let it fall to the floor. Whatever's from you, touch our hearts and change our hearts, I pray, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Courage, I want to talk about first, in the face of adversity. All of us have faced or will face adversity, hardship, pain, loss, that we would rather not go through or we are going through at this time. And there are many more examples of this pain and suffering in the Bible in the Old and the New Testament. I could list hundreds of names in there. You've got King David. You know, he had family loss and he had betrayal in his family. You had Hagar who had a child and was sent away, you know, out into the desert to make her own way with her son. You had Hannah, who was barren for years and needed a child. Jacob, you know, he, they, you know, he was conned year after year by his father-in-law to get more work out of him. And then, of course, Job, who had complete loss. Job lost everything, all right, everything, except his wife, all right, and she said, just shrivel up and die, you know. <laughs> In these stories, we see some just normal people going through tough times, yet reaching out to God without blaming Him. In some cases, God took away the affliction, but in most cases, these people needed to work their way through to the end of the trial 
just like us. But each one came to realize God was with them as he was with Joshua. And what did he say to Joshua? As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. So here we've got two parts. What is it? God is saying, I'll be with you, but what, what, what do I want you to do? I want you to be strong and courageous. I want you to have courage. Before we knew God, we had no interest in the Bible or things of God. But now that God, our Heavenly Father, is in our lives, we need to start to see things from His perspective as he sees things differently to us. He sees the big picture. He sees the beginning and the end. He knows the end of the movie. He said to Isaiah, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If we look at the Scriptures, we continually see these two things. One is, I am with you, and I want you not to fear. In other words, I want you to have courage. And it needs to be automatic. If I thought about the situation on the Harbour Bridge, if I had time to think it through, I would have possibly done something differently. But courage wells up in you to do something that you maybe not normally do. Now, after that incident, the the Harbour Bridge people decided that it would be a good idea to have a safety harness for those who are going to rescue people off the bridge so they don't go over. All right? That's health and safety at the beginning. So the thought process is that you're up there and this lady wants to jump over and you think, I haven't got my harness. I need to go back to the office and get my harness. All right? And believe it or not, once upon a time there were two boys up there you know, the things that float in water up in the harbour bridge. And when somebody jumped over, you threw these two boys into the water. And they would float with the current, because the current is very strong, and then the boats would have some idea where the person had possibly floated to if they hadn't stuck on the bottom, bottom in the mud, depending on what the tide was like. So, you know, those sort of things were there. But courage can, needs to be part of us as a Christian. And that courage part is knowing that God is there. He says, not to fear, take courage. Why? For I am with you. You say, is that it? I'm going through this trial and you're just saying to take courage. But that's not it. You've got cancer. You've got thing problems at home. You've got issues with health. You've got whatever you've got. God knows you've got that, but he wants you to know that he knows, and he wants you to know that he is with you, and he wants us to take courage. Courage in the face of adversity is actually not succumbing to the temptation of blaming God or complaining, why me? It's a trust decision. It's a courageous decision to trust God no matter what, and that does take courage. King David suffered loss and faced many trials, and yet he wrote, and you know this scripture, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in other words, the darkest valley in my life, I will fear no evil, for you 
are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. King David, in all his tragedy and all his um, battles, he knew that God was with him, and that gave him courage. As parents, we allow our children to suffer. In fact, as parents, we help them to suffer. We want them to suffer. We want them to eat vegetables, don't we? All right? Have you seen kids squirming at having to eat vegetables? They go through a phase. When they're babies, they'll eat anything. And then at a certain age, they've got taste buds. All right? We want them to do their homework. And they don't want to do homework. All right? But we know what's best for them. Sally and I had to help our kids do homework for 36 years. That doesn't mean the first guy was so dumb he'd spent 36 years at school. We just kept having kids. And I think it was a painful experience from my point of view for 36 years having to encourage kids to do their homework who didn't want to do homework. I thought the assignments I helped them with were really good. I'd be wanting to see what marks we got. What about chores, helping kids to do chores around the place? How many kids just love doing that? If you've got one of those, they're gold, all right? But I can remember asking Casey, our youngest one, to shift some cobblestones. There might have been 30 cobblestones down the back and up to the front of the place. That job took him all day, all day. It was probably a 20-minute job, but he struggled over it, and he had to take a break. He had to go and get some water. I'll come back and do it later. It took him all day. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And that's why we say, oh, it's just easier if I just do it myself, you know? Or not being allowed to have this or that because their friends have got it. Or not being allowed to go there or there or, you know, whatever. We see our kids suffer. Why? Because we know what's good for them in the long run doing it all for them or shielding them from their responsibilities actually stunts their growth. And the same with our Heavenly Father. Shielding us, His children, from every difficulty or trial does not help us to become like Christ. Sure, we don't want to go through it. Sure, we're going to ask Him to take it away. But God wants us to reach out to Him and in the midst of the storm to trust in Him. No matter what, he says over and over, take courage, I am with you. You know, the book of Hebrews was written as a letter to a group of Christians who faced increasing opposition and were in danger of abandoning their Christian faith. The writer encourages them in their faith, primarily by showing them that Jesus Christ is the true and final revelation of God, and secondly, by emphasizing Jesus learned true obedience to the Father through suffering. At the age of 33, Jesus died on the cross. Do we want to be like him? Or do we just want to be like the rest of everybody else? The devil tempted Jesus way back in the desert with a shortcut. Bow down and worship me, and you can have all this, he said. But Christ knew that suffering 
was part of the answer for our salvation. I'm not wanting suffering, but I know it's part of my life to suffer in some way, and it's part of your life. You agree? The writer goes on to say, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. An author writes a story. An author writes a book. Your life is being written by Christ, and he allows things to happen to us that will help us to become more like him. You know, this, uh, the American country music singer, some of you might remember Jimmy Dean, but it's just something he said that encouraged me. He said, one of the sayings he said, I can't change the direction of the wind, but I can adjust my sails to always reach my destination. There's a part for us to play when adversity comes. We can adjust our thinking. We can adjust to what we say. We can be positive about things. And we can know that Jesus walks with us. You see, courage is an attitude of mind. Remember the definition of moral courage, the ability to act rightly in the face of discouragement or personal loss. Psalm 91 says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You know, it's not very obvious here where my shadow is, but if you look down, you'll see a shadow. You can see a shadow with your, just, you know, with the lights. For somebody to stand in your shadow, they've got to be pretty close. And God is saying to us, you're in a shelter. In other words, a temporary place. You are temporarily here on the earth, but you're so close to me, if you want to be, that you're in, you know, you're in my shadow. You know, as shelters were built, you know, Peter wanted to build a shelter on the top of the hill when he was up there. You know that Joan... Uh, Jonah wanted to had a shelter built over him, you know. There's, it's a temporary thing. And so it's temporary for us as well. This life on earth is temporary. But God is so close that we are in his shadow. The second area I want to talk about is courage to do what is right. Bob Gass writes in the Word for Today as he shares a story of golfer Davis Love, who called a one-stroke penalty on himself during the second round of the Western Open. He moved his marker out of the path of another player's putting line. Then later, he couldn't remember if he had moved the ball back to its original spot. Since he wasn't certain, he gave himself an extra stroke, and that one stroke caused him to miss the cut and so eliminated from the tournament. At year's end, Love was $590 short in winnings to automatically qualify for the Masters. And so he needed to win a tournament to qualify for this prestigious event. Fortunately, the story ends well. 
The week before the Masters, he won a tournament in New Orleans, gaining automatic entry into the Masters and then going on to earn over $200,000 by coming second in the Masters. Later, when asked how he'd felt if he had missed the Masters through calling a penalty on himself, Love replied, the question is how I'd felt if I'd won and spent the rest of my life wondering if I'd cheated. The balance of the money and the balance of what's on your mind, whether you've cheated. As Christians, we need courage to do what is right. There's a picture we're going to put up. You might remember them, the WWJD wristbands that were worn. They went right around the world. Um, different players, you know, celebrities, youth we used to wear. You might even have one in your drawer. What would Jesus do? Christians from all walks of life wore these bands, you know, to help them to make right decisions. It's, you know, it's saying, what would Jesus do in this situation? It's a reminder. Here it is on my wrist. So what do you do when the checkout operator gives you too much change? What do you do when you find something valuable or somebody's wallet that's got money in it? You know, you're in an exam and you don't know the answers, but you know the person sitting beside you does know the answers. What do you do? Do you tell the truth? Or is it just better to tell a white lie as opposed to a black lie? You know? Do you drive without a warrant of fitness, a registration? Now I'm getting, now I'm doing it, under. I? Now I'm, now... Do you drive without a license? You know, last summer, Sally Ann caught a kingfish. No fishermen in here? It was the biggest fish she had ever caught, and it was on the West Coast. I just had to add that. But unfortunately... It only measured 70 centimeters, and so, of course, had to go back, because fish don't stretch. We tried, but they don't stretch. But surprisingly, some Christians thought she should have kept it. Oh, you just should have kept it. Now, nobody would know, you know? So, which reminds me of a TV, uh, a New Zealand TV um, reality show where fishery officers stopped all sorts of people all around New Zealand inspecting their catches. Anybody see that? I can't even remember what that program was called. But interestingly enough, there was a Christian leader on there. He wasn't a pastor, but there was a Christian leader on there that caught, got caught with more snapper than he should have. Now, you'd think he'd be sort of humble in defeat, but he actually gave them a very bad time, which was actually made it doubly worse. And there he is on national TV. Courage to do what's right is important. It's something that we can do. This sort of behavior tarnishes the Christian name, and it's wrong, and it displeases God. Proverbs 20 says, the Lord detests Differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him because it's not him. It's not his personality. It's our flesh, all right? And we need to chuck it away. 
Surely we want to be known in heaven for honesty rather than dishonesty. Now, I ask you, which of these two disciples would you prefer to be? You can have a choice. We look at John 12. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So there, you know, we know Judas Iscariot, you know, betrayed Jesus and he was arrested, but he was known in the scriptures as a thief. They knew that he was pinching money out of the church money bag. Well, what about this disciple? Surely we'd, we'd prefer this. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, some days say no guile. Well, the Message Bible says not a false bone in his body. I think that's what I would want to be known for. I've got no ulterior motive. I've got, in fact, I've got no ulterior motive. I'm up here because I care about you guys. I'm up here because I love God. And I think you guys need to be just doing it because you love God and because you care about people and you've got no ulterior motive. The, mis the Proverbs 5 says, For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them back. Your sin will punish you while you're on earth. You have a chance to put things right before God, and He will welcome you into the heaven. But sin punishes sin. And it takes courage to do what is right. Which leads me to my next area. Courage when facing peer pressure. Rachel Scott was only 17. Now the tissues. <laughs> was only 17 years old when she shot by two fellow students at Columbine High School in one of America's worst high school massacres. Rachel and a couple of other students were singled out as Christians and died along with 12 others on the 20th of April, 1999. After her death, her many journals overflowed with her prayers, her doubts, her ever-involving sense of purpose and calling, and her growing sense that her days on earth were numbered. Exactly one year earlier, on April the 20th, 1998, Rachel wrote this. It's like I have a heavy heart and this burden upon my back, but I don't know what it is. There is something in me that makes me want to cry, and I don't even know what it is. Things have definitely changed. Last week was so hard. I lost all my friends at school. Now that I have begun to walk my talk, they make fun of me. I don't even know what I have done. I don't really have to say anything, and they turn me away. I have no more personal friends at school. But you know what? It's all worth it to me. I am not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I am not going to hide the light that God has put in me. If I have to sacrifice anything, I will. I will take it. If my friends have to become my enemies for me to be with my best friend Jesus, 
then that's fine with me. You know, I always knew that part of being a Christian is having enemies, but I never thought that my friends were going to be those enemies. It's all good. I'm just a loner now at school. You know, Rachel reached out to the kids in school that had no friends. She walked that talk and lost her life for it. And I think that's courage. I mean, young people, I'm speaking to you. Do you have the courage to stand up for your faith in Jesus Christ? You know, if you think, if you picture being caught in a rip and you need help, you feel you're going to drown. What do you want? Who do you want? Anybody want to tell me the answer? A lifeguard. Somebody said, Jesus, you need Jesus. But a lifeguard would be really handy. Having somebody out there with a red cap on and a, and a rubber ring is going to be really important to your salvation in that water. But if you're out there with another drowning person, what help is that? We need to be that lifeguard for people. We don't need to be another drowning person. If you don't stick up for your faith and you just pretend who you are, you're just another drowning person and they've got no rescuer. But when you've got that red hat on and you stand up for who you are and Jesus Christ is your saviour, they can reach out to you when they're going through loss. They can reach out to you and see you as a lifeguard. It's no good just being a secret agent Christian. It doesn't do anybody any good at all. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Rachel is getting a reward. She's receiving a reward. Many people came to salvation at her funeral, hundreds and that was her desire that people would come to the Lord. Are people going to come to salvation at your funeral? Are you going to have an altar call? Have you asked somebody to make sure there's an altar call at your funeral? Are you interested in those people, those relatives that are going to fight over your money? Think about that. I think of all the funerals I've done, I've only done two with altar calls that the family wanted it. Some families don't even want a Christian message in the funeral. The easiest option is always to go with the flow. Fear comes in and we become afraid of what people might think or say. It takes courage to stand for what you believe, either at school or at work. 1 day while I was at a firearms training in a room full of fellow policemen and women of all ranks the most macho area in the police the firearms training area an instructor called out any born again christians in here my mind instantly thought what's coming next but i knew who i was and i had no doubt 
who was with me. And in boldness in the Holy Spirit, I stood up and said, yes, and you better watch out. Why I chose those words, I don't know, but they were prophetic. I'm not weeping for me, I'm weeping for him. He told his story about a Christian. But sadly, I went to his funeral about six months later. The instructor died. And I don't know where he went. It was a, the funeral was packed, absolutely packed. The firearms instructor was, you know, way up there in the police. You can't mock God. There were other Christians in that room that day. Do we have the courage? Yes, we do. We have Christ. When it comes, take it. You'll beat yourself up if you don't. But next time, do it again. Take the courage. Let people know where you stand. It's a lot easier. We are the head. We are not the tail. After every five weeks, police used to, what they called jug night. You know, jugs of beer, but they have jug night. And at the end of your five-week rotation, you'd meet in the bar, and all the things you had done or hadn't done didn't matter. You'd get jugged for it, and you'd pay a penalty, and you'd have to drink. That was the culture. I came into a station with that culture, but I didn't drink. It was a problem to them. So they got somebody else to drink for me. And I had orange juice. I didn't think that was a penalty. But I was a sergeant and they didn't. But that gave the opportunity for other people to have orange juice. You've got to break the culture and know who you are. If we're the same as everybody else, we don't break anything. We don't make any change. Stand up for who you are. And so that leads me into courage to share your faith. Do you have the courage to share your faith? Jesus spoke with authority because he knew who he was. At first, Peter wasn't sure and denied Jesus three times. But in the book of Acts, he was a different person, a fearless, mighty man of God. Know who you are, a child of God. Make that decision and take courage. You are a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. You are the head, remember, and not the tail. When you go into a room, a party, whatever it is, you're a born-again Christian. Behave like one. Otherwise, the dog will wag you. And that doesn't mean you go in there with pride or... In a, in a boastful way, just know who you are and stick to your convictions. We cannot waste our life 
worried about what other people think of us. Instead, we need to go through life knowing what God says about us. If you're thinking about what everybody's thinking about you, you cannot be thinking about what God thinks about you. It takes courage to share our faith. If you don't have the courage, ask for it. Ask to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and receive the power of God. I think my next message might be on baptism in the Holy Spirit, because we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, whether we've had a baptism or not. It takes, as I said, courage. If we don't have the courage, ask God. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. Ask yourself, am I ashamed of the gospel? As the musicians come, I haven't finished, but musicians come, please. Let me ask you, can you be courageous in the face of adversity, knowing God is with you? Can you be courageous enough to do what is right? Do you have the courage to stand up for what you believe in the face of opposition? Are you unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If the answer is yes, then in my book, you're a hero. A hero or heroine is a person who in the face of danger, combats adversity through impressive feats of ingenuity, bravery, or strength, often sacrificing their own personal concerns for a greater good. And a person who is admired for great or brave acts or fine qualities. Ask the person beside you, are you a hero? Come on, ask them, are you a hero? Does anybody in here want to be a hero? You know what I'm saying? I think four hands went up. You're a shy church. Anybody in here want to be a courageous for Jesus Christ? It's a choice we make. It's a decision we make. In the face of adversity, when we face peer pressure, when we face that opportunity, we may not be saving people off the harbour bridge. We may be not diving into the tide to rescue drowning people. But every day we have the opportunity to be courageous and show courage, knowing that God is with us. Psalm 118.6 says, Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. 